everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithel Day, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack, it's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, uh, Badwater, how you doing? Doing pretty good, could be a lot worse, you know, summer's winding down, and uh, I kind of feel Adam Holland's pain when it comes to work and the whole, uh, oh my god, now this is happening, so, but... But uh, fortunately, um, it hasn't impacted any of my work addicted to quack. So it's all good. Could be worse. Well, uh, I'm digging it because, uh, you know, we went through a couple of months where uh, we didn't have any duck athletics. Uh, and now we do. Um, and we soccer uh, started up women's soccer and we, we flooded the zone. We sent you to two different games that got canceled. Um, or postponed or rearranged or something like that. You were well on your way to canceling the sport of soccer, um, something which uh, was a, a thought-provoking prospect, but it appears not to be the case. We have sent you to, to now two different games, uh, one win and one tie uh, for the Oregon Ducks women's soccer team. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, soccer has done away with um, overtime. So, um, and, and I think that's, uh, unless it's the tournament, I, I, you, you can't get away really with, with ties in championship play, but, uh, I don't know that for sure. I, I just don't see how you could pull off a, a tournament without, um, having a, um, you know, a shootout or something to break a tie well certainly nothing can make soccer more exciting than uh than sudden death overtime on a a shootout given that you know uh, shots on goal and soccer are pretty rare during you know meaningful play so it's a complete turnaround it's actually a pretty uh, interesting study about uh eliminating the 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 shootout in hockey um uh uh you know frankly you know, I I have a lot more interest in, in in hockey than in soccer. I think because it's an enclosed uh, arena and the puck, when it hits the wall, just sloops around. Whereas in soccer, you know, plays constantly being stopped because the kick across the pitch, you know, is goes wildly out of control, and then everybody's got to stop for it to be thrown in. Is you know, I, I also tend to well, yeah, enjoy and, and hockey's uh, hockey's on a much smaller field. It's like soccer on meth sure. with sticks. Yeah, honestly, I think that would actually, you know, rather increase my interest in soccer either for uh, the, the, the field to be like, you know, cut, cut down to a quarter so that it was much more like in a phone booth or if they were just on math, that'd, that'd be interesting. Um, or if they just started adopting, you know, hockey style, you know, punch out fights uh, that, you know, that might be interesting, too. I assume there were no fights at the hockey games we sent you to uh, document. Um, no. Um, there was a lot of physicality, you know, in, mm-hmm. uh, each of the game, there was multiple players that, you know, um, fell or, or got kicked or hit or something. And, um, you know, a couple of them had to, um, go off to the sidelines, but I, I think everybody on, uh, all three teams, you know, survived the weekend. You got uh, Coach Abel to uh, answer a number of your questions. Was, uh, you know, that kind of physical play something that he had discussed? He had mentioned that during the the uh, media day that the university had 
last week. He he said that um, they were expecting a lot of physical play from both New Mexico State and uh, from San Francisco. And in fact, um, there was discussion that uh, San Francisco had really taken it to him last year and kind of bullied and pushed him around some. Hmm. And um, there wasn't so much of that in the first half, but when both teams started to get a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more physical, you know, uh, out came the yellow cards and, you know, both teams had a, a couple of yellow cards. They they were re- really going at it. Um, pretty low scoring so far. I believe the Ducks have only surrendered one goal in two games, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the the goaltender, Oregon's goal goaltender, I think is up for an award. Uh, uh, Leah Freeman. Um, uh, she she has nine saves. Uh, so far, and uh, I, I think she's been nominated for a Pac-12 award, right? Or she's yeah. in the running for it? Yeah, um, she had nine saves in just the game uh, against San Francisco that tied her um, wow. career record. Yeah, and only, and only let one through. That's, you know, pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, yeah, here it is. She's named for the Herman Trophy watch list. Yeah, the Her- Herman Trophy. And the one that got uh, Pastor was kind of a, a fluky curve off of a corner kick, and um, the the ball just did weird things, and it happens. Mm. Uh, uh, well, you know, excellent performance, and you know, it's probably the most important player on the on the pitch, right? When you say, "Oh yeah, yeah," um, if you don't have a, a good goalkeeper, you don't have a, a very good team. Yeah, it it has exactly the same importance as uh, goalkeepers in hockey. Yeah, they're, they're some of your most important pieces out there. And then on the offense, uh, what have you seen out of the Ducks so far? Well, some of the freshmen um, and uh, players that have been around for a while but haven't been able to play, like um, uh, Callan Harrington, uh, who scored? Who scored the first goal of the season? Um, we're seeing uh, uh, a lot of a, impressive play. Um, uh, Ajane Respass uh, also scored a goal against New Me- New Mexico State, and uh, she's a freshman. Um, so a lot of our our forwards. Uh, are some of these some of this younger talent that has come into the team and added uh, more offensive firepower and more depth? Uh, you know, Harrington's interesting because I, I believe she's a local, right? She's from the state of Oregon. Yep. She, she yeah, played a Jesuit, I think right? she she has a high school record for um, most uh, points. In, uh, and yet, in this was her record. first her first college goal, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. That's um, cool. She had, uh, she'd been battling uh, a foot injury. Um, she had a foot injury shortly in, into the uh, 2020 season uh, before uh, actually playing a game or anything. And then she was all, she was out all of last season uh, yeah. on the injury. So, you know, 
so she's back. In fact, she was uh, uh, dinged up a little bit and limping and had to leave the game against San Francisco. Um, but Coach Abel said uh, right afterwards that, you know, the doctors look at her, at her, but, uh, you know, she looks to be okay. Yeah. Just banged up. I've read that. And, uh, go ahead. And true, um, true Dadasco, uh, in the first game against New Mexico state, um, also got tripped and knocked down and was kind of slow to get up. And, um, you know, for, for all the, and this plays out in, in all of collegiate sports, you know, for all the, the physical rehab that uh, you do to recover from a, uh, a serious injury, you know, season in, in, ending injury, um, there's some mental rehabilitation that has to go on too. And, and you, you know, that, um, that, that first minor injury uh, has to be sending, sounding off some warning bells. Yeah, right. Some of these players that have been knocked out for um, for a season, and it, it's, it'll be the same way with uh, Justin Flo and you know some, uh, no some of the other players that that have uh, had to endure uh, season-ending injury stuff. So, but it was it was. Uh, it was kind of ironic that that those two that that True and and Callen um, were ones that you know, went down and had to go off to the sideline and shake it off. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was you know a little nerve wracking, uh, as you say, you know, coming off of you know some missed miss time. Um, I've read that uh, the soccer fields were recently resurfaced, and this is like the first time out for the the new playing surface. You were yes. there in person, the sort of thing that you know I, I watched these games on the Pac-12 uh, networks because they were good enough to air them. Um, but like you can't really see that uh, on the TV screen. You were there in person. Had had the fields looked? They looked you know playable. Oh, they, safe. they looked fantastic. They they yeah. were um, they're much like um, in fact I think they're exactly like what's going on in Ots and you know when you see uh, close up uh, on the football field you see material uh, bouncing off the, the turf um, during gameplay the soccer field is exactly the the huh. same kind of turf it, it has that material that's there and it has uh, a more a little bit more sponginess to the surface while still being, you know, stable for footwork and that kind of stuff. Yeah. When, uh, when you go down, it's not like falling on concrete or the AstroTurf of the past. Well, uh, the Ducks will leave their recently resurfaced field for their first road game uh, on Saturday against Gonzaga. I understand Gonzaga is a, a ranked team and usually a pretty good women's soccer team. Um, what, uh, you'll be covering that game. It's going to be airing on Gonzaga's like, you know, their their native streaming site, WCC Sports. Um, but every, anybody can watch it um, uh, uh, streaming uh, through that. We'll put the link up on ATQ on our, our coverage, of course. Um, what are you uh, looking forward to in that game? Well, I'm looking for uh, some improvement in, in how the Ducks are um, attacking with the ball. You know whether they're able to uh, effectively penetrate into the box and get shots on goal, 
and also uh, how the how the backline is doing with the with the San Francisco game, and you, you could hear the coach uh, telling Leah in the backline to uh, to push forward. He had to do that several times. Um, they were leaving too much space, and that was allowing uh, San Francisco to you know, get in some some quick short passes, get around uh, on the edges, and you know penetrate. And it translated into a whole lot more shots on the goal than the Ducks were were able to take. Um, so, uh, you know, the the past two games have been a, a little bit more of a learning curve, given the absence of the exhibition game against Corbin, and um, they're still working on on stuff. Uh, we're going to see what um, what this uh, Duck team is learning and how they're progressing because this is not unlike the men's baseball game against Gonzaga. Gonzaga is a, a really good baseball team, and we saw early in the, the baseball season uh, how the Ducks baseball team um, stacked up against good competition like that. But we're going to find out the same thing in Spokane. Well, it's interesting, you know, their, their upcoming schedule, you know, they, they basically play, you know, because as you say, you know, the Corbin game was, was canceled. They've already played two of what'll be eight, you know, out of conference games. The, the, the third will be Gonzaga. Uh, They host Texas next week uh, and and then uh, Boise state and, uh, and, and then finish up the week hosting Santa Clara. Um, you know, then they fly uh, all the way out to New York a couple days later after hosting Santa Clara to play Hofstra. Um, and then technically a road game, uh, you know, they play the Portland Pilots in Portland um, on the 16th. Uh, uh, Portland's usually actually a pretty good team, um, if I recall correctly. And uh, so, you know, it's an interesting out-of-conference schedule, but they get to play, you know, a, a lot of it either in Eugene or otherwise in the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> with one exception where they fly all the way across the country, uh, which is interesting. And then conference play, you know, starts up uh, on the 23rd of September with, of course, the Washington Huskies. Um so, uh, you know, we'll be covering the, the entire season. It is not a particularly long season. It runs from, uh, you know, September or, you know, late August to, to, to November. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, we should be, uh, and, and there are, you know, mostly midweek games, you know, it's, you know, Thursdays, Fridays, uh, you know, Sundays, um, uh, as far as I can tell, there there's I think only one game on Saturday uh, the the entire season, which is this Gonzaga game. So it's kind of uh, you know it's kind of ideal for any you know football fans who need some uh, need some Ducks athletics in their lives uh, outside of Saturdays during the fall. Uh, you know, soccer sort of has you covered, um, and you know we will be airing coverage on Addicted to Quack you know all season long. I'm looking forward to it. I, I trust you are too. Uh, yeah, I am. The, um, the soccer season, uh, tickets for adults are $5 and nice. children 12 and under, uh, get in for free. So hey, if you're looking for some inexpensive entertainment for the family and, uh, spend a couple of hours out in the sun, that's, uh, 
that's the way to go. And again, um, does not conflict with uh, football. There's, exactly. I, I don't believe there's a single conflict. I, I think, well, Oregon, the Ducks play like one uh, Thursday game, I think against UCLA, but I forget when exactly there is. There might be a little conflict there, but like, yeah, no, as a compliment, you know, to football. Uh, yeah. Actually women's soccer might be pretty interesting for folks to pick up this year. Yeah. And speaking of, speaking of UCLA, the, um, the Ducks, kind of if there's a home field advantage the ducks are going to kind of benefit from the home field advantage because your your big teams in uh the pac-12 conference are colorado usc ucla and stanford Mm -hmm. and they play ucla usc and stanford at pepe field nice you know if you want to see some um excellent competition and see what the best of the pac-12 looks like Go see those games. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk uh, women's volleyball. All right, uh, the volleyball season is getting started uh, uh, shortly here, uh, same day uh, as the soccer team is taking on Gonzaga on Saturday. Uh, they will open up their Portland swing, uh, the Rose City Showdown. Uh, first game is Long Beach State on Saturday. Second game is uh, Portland State on Sunday. Um and uh, uh, the volleyball team, I believe, was picked by the media to finish fourth uh, in the Pac-12, although they did get one first place vote. Uh, mm-hmm. Should be a pretty decent team this year, I think. Uh, you're going to be writing up a season preview this week. Uh, what are your thoughts on the volleyball team? Well, um, I'm interested in um, taking a, a deep dive into the pieces that they've added and how they intend to uh, progress beyond last season. Uh, last season was a, a pretty good season. They were 22 and nine overall. Not bad. And uh, even though they uh, didn't advance in the NCAA tournament, uh, they did play. So, yeah, I'm sure that's the, uh, that's the goal for them is to, get into NCAA play again and, you know, get past that first round. Uh, the Ducks have also gotten a couple of uh, preseason honors, uh, uh, Brooke Nunaviller and uh, Hannah Pukas. Um, uh, uh, anybody else uh, stand out to you uh, on the team? Um, not yet. Uh, like I say, I, I haven't taken a, a um, really deep dive on um, what's going on with this team. That's going to be uh, part of what I do for the season preview. And uh, the volleyball team hasn't done a media day yet uh, either. And we'll have uh, some more information when, when that happens and you know, get some feedback from uh, the coach and some of the players on where they think they're at and, where they think they're going on the season. Oh, oh look forward to it. Um, you're publishing that one on uh, 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 well, on Wednesday, right? Wednesday, so, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, well, chop, chop, buddy. It's Monday night. <laughs> you got you a yeah. crash course on volleyball coming up. Uh, I mean, just looking at the schedule, you know, it, it looks fairly friendly to me. You know, a couple of games in Portland, then a couple of games in Eugene or matches, I should say, uh, UC Davis and Rice uh, in in early September. Uh, they do a, a Minneapolis swing against uh, Minnesota and Penn State the next week. Um, then they get to go to uh, go out to Florida. Um, uh, play South Carolina and then Miami um, uh, and then return back to, to the state of Oregon for, you know, opening up conference play against Oregon state. Um, it's uh, you know, again, it, it's a pretty complimentary schedule in terms of if you're primarily a football fan, you know, there there's, I think only two or three games the entire year that are uh, uh, on Saturday. Um, and, uh, and I believe not a single game in, in conference play until the very last game of the year, which is, they close against Oregon State. Um, I believe that's on the same day as they play the or the football team plays Oregon State's uh, in the what uh, the 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 platy as we're calling it around here. Um, so platy part two will be uh, volleyball. Um, yeah, it, that's going to be a huge conflict of interest for me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, it won't be for me. Um, the <laughs> the uh, but uh, but again, like you know, uh, we we're big supporters of women's sports here to, to, to Quack and Badwater. You're a big part of that. I'm definitely looking forward to your coverage of, of both soccer and women's volleyball. Um, I have to admit, you know, a little selfishly, I like that that you know there's not a lot of conflicts for these sports against football. Um, I really discovered this year, um, while I was doing a lot of my video editing for various articles that I was writing during the winter and spring, um, that like having sports on one screen and doing work in my case, video editing, um, on the other screen, um, was like really complimentary. Um, and I really feel like, you know, I, I highly recommend this to fans, like be- become a multi-sport fan, um, like, uh, uh, you know, have a different ducks team on while you're, while you're doing something else. Um, it, it's a great experience and, uh, and women's volleyball should be a lot of fun this year. Um, that, you know, it's, it looks like a pretty well-composed team. I'm looking at the recruiting rankings. Um, you know, Oregon's got a couple of, you know, a, a bunch of great players. I mentioned, uh, you know, two of them, none of Villa and Pucas, um, you know, uh, they finished well last year. They're picked fourth in the Pac-12. Washington, by the way, was picked first. So uh, if you're looking for another reason uh, to jump in feet first, uh, you know, there's one. And, uh, and you know, maybe the best reason at all as an, ed- as an editor, uh, Badwater, I always look forward to, to your coverage of sports. You put a pretty uh, nice spin on things. Uh, you're very comprehensive, you know, in your write-ups. I, I really look forward to your articles about this team. Yeah, uh, thanks for that. I, uh, in all the time that I've uh, covered sports, I try to stay away from the uh, the same kind of coverage that you get from uh, everywhere else. You know, I, I always tried to get into, well, you know, what's the game really about? What's the nugget here? And what can I add to uh, that kind of coverage rather than just copy it? Um, well, and and to to your point about uh, you know multitasking on sports, the volleyball, softball, baseball, um, soccer, those are all sports that are are pretty easily uh, watched with where you can get up and 
uh, take a break and um, not have missed that the touchdown drive. Yeah, there there's sort of a you know there's ebbs and flows to to games like these where you know football boy I can tell you you know because it, it's happened to me a couple of times you're just like oh I can't take it anymore and you run to the bathroom it turns out you missed a sixty yard foot you know touchdown pass that completely breaks the game open like eh, you don't really have that sort of stuff with soccer or 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 volleyball or or these sorts of things so like yeah they're very they're very conducive to like chill watching um you know not to say that the competitors aren't competing their hearts out or you know there aren't exciting plays there certainly are um and uh, just that like yeah i i highly recommend the experience I, I was fairly skeptical i was i was a football only fan for a long time and as a recovering football only fan i, I can uh, you know recommend the experience of like yeah just have another game on man like it enriches your life it's uh it, it's it's a blast and uh oregon's got you know a couple of good women's teams uh you know for you to watch so take advantage of it yeah, and I'm going to be um, uh, I'm going to be seeing about uh, doing a um, a question and answer um, kind of a thing with um, Coach Ulmer, um, uh, same as I did for uh, with Coach Abel. It won't be exactly the same though, because I, I think the Oregon fan base is a little bit more aware of volleyball and what's going on with volleyball. Oh, come now. Are are you suggesting that the very, you know, thoughtful and lengthy answers that you got from coach Abel were because a soccer coach will take any attention he can get? Oh, yeah. I I have to admit that uh, I was very surprised at, you know, the, uh, the length and detail uh, of his answers. I mean, I, I set up some questions that, were specifically intended to intended to be uh, interesting to uh, not only uh, all two or three of the soccer fans that are out there, but oh, no, to certainly people more than that, that now <laughs> yeah, that don't know anything about uh, soccer at all. Um, I think uh, the uh, and you know it's a it's as general a thing as general observations go, but I think the the average. Oregon fan is a little bit more aware of what's going on with volleyball. I mean, we were, we were, uh, uh, one of the top ranked teams, you know, eight, nine, uh, 10 years ago. And well, so it's been more recent than that. Or- Oregon came pretty close to a national title, uh, only a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, something where, uh, I don't, need to ask those kinds of basic questions i can uh, get into uh, a little bit more meaty subjects well, well if you if anybody missed it go back and read that interview with coach abel you really did on the soccer side you really did get a lot of interesting answers out of him and i hope that you get uh, e- equally uh, thoughtful responses um on the volleyball side Uh, All right, let's take a break. Uh, We come back. We will talk maybe for the last time about uh, lessons from the Georgia football film study that I have finally wrapped up. All right. It's taken me almost a month, uh, but I have finally watched every single Georgia football game. There were a lot of them because they uh, played in the SEC championship and then two different playoff games. Um, 
uh, I, I finally concluded. I uh, charted all these games, of course, um, and uh, you know have to run them through the statistical regression engine that you know takes some computing time. It's not done yet; it's still cooking. Um, but you know, I, I I still do have you know a ton of data. I can you know I let's see. I recorded, I believe, five hundred and thirty-seven meaningful uh, offensive plays and five hundred and forty-three, almost exactly the same number, uh, meaningful defensive plays. So you know, uh, about eleven hundred non-garbage time uh, snaps uh, recorded. You know, got. That, that takes a while to pour, parse to run through all the, you know, the cross tabs. Uh, you know, I, I run it through a, a statistical regression engine in order to, you know, pick up, well, pick up patterns, you know, pick up correlations, pick up, you know, like, well, when they're on third down at this field position, they tend to run this type of play or, you know, when they trot out 12 personnel and they tend to do this. And those things are all, you know, uh, those things are always, you know, I feel like enrich, you know, the articles and you're definitely not going to get them anywhere else. No, <laughs> I have, you know, the, the overlap between like serious uh, statisticians and football coverage is pretty much non-existent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, outside you, of me. Were you, ex- were you expecting that kind of balance? I mean, is it, what do you mean? Uh, would, uh, the, the oh, no, that, you, that almost always happens. No, no, that, that you, you, uh, it, it pretty much, you know, always works out that way. It's, it's, uh, it's unusual if it doesn't, um, the, about the only time you ever get teams, you know, that have a big imbalance is, uh, teams that are there, even the best defensive teams in Georgia was according to advanced statistics, you know, the best defense in the history of college football, or at least for the period they've been recording for the purposes of advanced statistics. Um, even those guys, they do not force three and outs on every single drive. Like uh, it's short drives, like three play drives are actually very rare, even for, um, you know, very good defenses, but you actually sometimes see it the other way around, which is teams that on the offense are, constantly they're they're like three to five play drives because they either go three and out or they hit a touchdown in five plays you know because they're entirely dependent on um explosive offense so sometimes you see teams that are like you know a very few small number of um of meaningful offensive snaps and then a normal number of defensive snaps. Um, but generally, you know, they're almost always identical simply because, you know, the game goes into garbage time. It, it means it's garbage time on, you know, it's, uh, I, I, unlike, uh, uh, most av- advanced statisticians who just use sort of an arbitrary or artificial cutoff for when garbage time begins, like, you know, it is no, the score is more than 16 points within the fourth quarter, more than, you know, 21 points in the third quarter, you know, et cetera. I, because I'm watching the game, like you can tell there are certain signifiers when, um, where, when the, the game is just, you know, uh, this is non-representative play when you can see that the offense is trying to kill the clock by just running the ball and, and running the clock down to like two seconds, you know, the, the play clock down to two seconds before they snap the ball, you know, that means it's non-representative play. Even if the game is still sort of in question, like if they're, they've substantially changed their offense, which means the game is effectively over. You need to stop recording, you know, stats. They're non-representative or like, or a team is behind. Um, even if, 
they can, you know, throw the ball constantly and score three touchdowns and get back in the game, like th- because they're in desperation mode, like it, this is now non-representative play and you need to stop recording. So like, you know, and there's a bunch of other examples, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, like, and let me tell you, including non-representative plays into your sample set is the best way to spike your sample set into irrelevance, like, is one of the, you know, reasons why, you know, I realize how self-serving this is going to sound. I really don't trust any report that isn't based on charting um, that I do myself or somebody that I trust, you know, does. Um because there's just so much garbage, you know, both garbage time and just, oh, oh man. And here's the other thing, like, that's just like really mind blowing is, you know, as the, I, I, I use collegefootballdata.com as the, which is a wonderful website. Any nerds out there who want to check out, um, you know, it's, it is a fantastic database. Um, it, it's, so I have to get a play by play, right? Like I feed all of this into a spreadsheet. I'm not, you know, doing it by hand. I can get college football data to give me the entire play by play for the game. And that sets up the, like, it's, you know, it's like it sets up the form and then I'm filling in the blanks with the additional data that I'm getting rather than like, you know, me having to, to type in it's third and eight and they ran this type of play, you know, like, you know, so, so anyway, that's the, like the officially recorded, uh, you know, thing. And if you aren't doing the process that I'm doing, which is using that as a basis, but then whenever I notice that there's a problem, I correct that problem. Like, oh my God, I'm correcting problems. Maybe every, I would say 10 plays, um, you know, like, like here's one, for example, let's say that, um, you know, uh, let's say that it's third and eight, and the running back rushes for four yards. Um, and then, you know, at the end he's being tackled, but then, you know, somebody yanks his face mask as he's being tackled. So that's a 15 yard penalty. Um, how should that play you know, Badwater? You tell me, how should that play be, be recorded? You know, it, um, based on what you're saying, um, I would be inclined to not include the face mask penalty because that wasn't the the yardage that uh that literally developed from the play right that i mean that's how i do it i i I would record that as a 40 yard rush and then the next line would be penalty enforcement 15 yards so four yard rush on third and eight that's a failed play um you know that that one gets a win to the defense uh you know in my book other I, I here's the problem when you're looking at the recorded, you know, data for, for, you know, the official record, I have seen that recorded as a 19 yard run or a four yard run, or sometimes, you know, four yard run with 15 yard penalties, or sometimes I see it recorded simply as a four yard run. And the penalty is not mentioned anywhere, but like the next line takes place 19 yards down the field and it's on first down. It's like, and there's like no documentation for why that happened. Like I've seen all three of those iterations, all of which I think are the wrong way to do it. Um, you know, uh, uh, and that's just one example. I mean, I could, I could, 
talk your ear off about ways in which I think the official record is, you know, is wrong and about 10% of plays and would lead you to record data, you know, or, or, you know, even if you're running an advanced statistical system, which parses the raw stats in intelligent ways that it's still, you're still running into a garbage in garbage out problem. Um, because of, you know, the raw recording I, I think is frequent or just like straight up errors like that, you know, a certain plays, you know, is, is 17 yards and it's written down in the official record as seven yards because whoever was entering it just fat fingered the one, you know, and, and didn't record it correctly. I just like it all the time, man. Um, you know, it, it's crazy. So anyway, like that's actually the major time sink for me is, uh, is correcting, you know, the record, which you can only get from much in the game. Uh, anyway, boy, that was a long regression. Yeah, um, well, your, your, your information is only going to be as good as, um, the accuracy of what you're putting in. Like so, I mean, that that's about. what I can really say is that, you know, I, I have 1,100 plays, you know, but I can vouch for them, man. Like, every, 1,100 plays in which, you know, there's no FCS data. There's no garbage time data. There's no misrecorded stats. There's no penalty yardage going down as rush yardage. There's no rush yardage going down as pass yardage that, you know, quarterback scrambles are properly differentiated as scrambles. Uh, you know, like, that. that's you know, the advantage of doing it this way. Um, oh, so because I was able to um, record some preliminary stats, right? Because this doesn't require the statistical regression engine to get this. It's just a simple, you know, sort and exclude as database query. It's easy to do. Uh, I can give you the, so Georgia's defense is really good, like really good. Um, they are about 60% uh, uh, against the pass and about 60% against the run. So 60% uh, success rate is basically the exact, threshold for playoff caliber performance and my experience and i've been doing this for a really long time and i've charted teams that have you know won national championships or have gotten to the playoffs or new Year's six bowls you know like basically what i call playoff contender teams and they are typically 60 percent across all four quadrants of football right you know offense rush offense pass offense rush defense pass defense and georgia definitely passes the test in terms of their uh defense at 60 percent you know efficiency against pass passes and runs um they're uh, uh uh they're also very good um at, at you know yardage limitations so they only allow six yards 6.1 yards per pass they only allow 3.45 yards per rush those are both excellent numbers they're well below uh average um their rush explosive defense number is tremendous they only allow eight percent of all opponent runs to go more than 10 yards which wow. is or uh, yeah, like like uh, about about fifteen percent is average. Under ten percent is excellent. Like eight percent, yeah, that's really good. Um, their their pass explosive defense number is it's it's twelve point seven five percent. Again, fifteen and for passes, the threshold is fifteen, not ten yards uh, gained. Um, they're allowing opponents to gain fifteen plus yards on twelve point seven five percent of plays, which, like again, fifteen is average. Fifteen uh, percent is average. Ten percent is very good. So twelve point seven five is it's on the good side of average, but it's not an elite number. Um, and, and I think sort of reflects that the, like their DBs were really not the strength of their defense last year. Like if you could, if you could um, survive their pass rush, you can pick apart that secondary. Um, 
And I, I think probably Georgia fans will tell you that too. We're, we're going to have a recording with, uh, with a, a Georgia site uh, on Friday and I'm going to pose that question to them. But I think, you know, they're, they'd be willing to, to, to admit that. In fact, that's how in the first time they played Alabama, um, in the, the SEC conference championship game, um, that that's definitely how Bama beat them, um, is that Bama survived the pass rush and then just, you know, it was Bryce Young, uh, and a, a bunch of, you know, elite wide receivers and he just picked apart that secondary i mean he just he just destroyed them um and uh and then in the rematch in the national championship game you know somebody studied that film real closely i presumably dan lanning um and and figured out you know how to change up the way that they blitzed um changed up their personal set personnel assignments on the defensive line in particular he quit putting in the backups and the defensive line the backups for georgia's defensive line were not nearly as good as their starters which given that georgia loses all of their starters on the defensive line is like that's interesting to learn for oregon but anyway, um, uh, and then also the other thing that was interesting about the conference championship game versus the national championship game was that Bryce Young was scrambling really effectively in the first game um, due to some, I guess I would call it like lane discipline, like outside lane discipline issues like that their 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 edge rushers that the end and the olb would be so excited to be in the backfield that they start making inside moves and then young would kind of like bloop around to the outside and run into big open grass and then that was the big thing that i noticed or one of the things that i noticed that was a real adjustment in the in the rematch in the national conference, uh, and then excuse me, the national championship game is that like lane discipline was a lot better on the pass rush and that they were not allowing him to escape to the outside. So again, that looks like a defensive adjustment that probably our, our, our man, uh, 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 Dan, you know, made. So that was, you know, good to see. Um, and then the other thing that was, you know, really interesting from analyzing, um, the preliminary data was that the offense it's, the offensive efficiency was not championship caliber. In fact, I went back and I compared it to all the other, like what I would call playoff caliber teams that I've evaluated. And Georgia's really the outlier. Um, their pass efficiency is only 53%. Their uh, rush efficiency is, you know, slightly below that. It's, you know, 52.7%, you know, on a per play basis, meaning, you know, on only, uh, you know, about 53% of their offensive possessions, did they get enough yardage to stay ahead of the sticks given the down and distance? Um, uh, which, you know, it's above average, you know, like a lot of pack 12 teams were below 50%. So I'm not saying that it's a bad offense, not at all. We're an inefficient offense. It is an efficient offense. It meets that, you know, standard, but it's not at 60%, which is the playoff level. Like it's, uh, it, it's actually pretty substantially below that Oregon played, you know, a bunch of teams that were about 53% in run and pass last year and beat them. Um, and that was with a defense that had some problems. Um, and, uh, they're, the thing that's really interesting is that they're 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 just not very good at running the ball. Um, the the they're really they're I'll, I'll put a pin in the second. I'll talk about their passing offense. They're when when uh, uh, JT Daniels, who was the USC transfer, was their quarterback. You know, to start out, he was not nearly as effective as Stetson Bennett. Um, Stetson Bennett's an interesting character. I'm going to talk about him a lot in my article next week. So I'm going to save that um, uh, for that. But, you know, I excluded the JT Daniels uh, numbers and, um, you know, their efficiency uh, numbers stay about the same. But what goes way up is their yards per pass goes up to 10.43, which is an excellent number. And here's the other 
another crazy thing is that their explosive passing offense with just Stetson Bennett is 25.75%, meaning on more than a quarter of all times when Stetson Bennett releases the ball from his hand, they gain 15 plus yards. One out of four. One out of four times that Stetson Bennett releases the ball from his hand, they get 15 plus yards. Like it was an extraordinarily explosive passing offense. And it, and it made up for everything else that was mediocre about their passing offense, including their efficiency in passing and their efficiency in running and their sort of non-explosive rushing attack. Um, they're, they're, and I, frankly, I think that a lot of that has to do with, I think the defensive coordinators made a strategic miscalculation. I think they really overplayed against the run and that that probably allowed more explosive passing than if they had more balanced or more pass. Um, you know, allocated more resources to the pass. I think that probably that number would have come down. And frankly, I expect that number to come down in the 2022 season because I bet there are a bunch of SEC defensive coordinators who are watching that film and coming to the same conclusion, sort of slapping their foreheads like, I shouldn't have freaked out so much about Georgia's rushing offense. It really wasn't that good. Um, and, and I really should instead should have concentrated more about Stetson Bennett. I bet what they did was they saw all the physical limitations that Stetson Bennett has, which he has a few. I mean, he's a former walk-on for a reason. There are some arm talent issues with the guy. And I think they probably said, like, this guy is no concern, but Georgia's rushing attack definitely is a concern. And they got that one totally backwards. And I suspect that a number of defensive coordinators that Georgia faces in 2022 will um, not get it backwards. Uh, or maybe they will, or who knows. Um Here's the other thing that's really interesting about Georgia's rushing offense. And again, this is just from the preliminary numbers, um, is that it's it, it the uh, like I said, it's uh, about 5.1 yards per rush. It's about 52% rushing efficiency, um, which are not, they're pretty mediocre numbers. But here's the thing that's really crazy. If you pull out the, the you know what the, who their most effective running back was? It wasn't Zamir Cook or, or White. They're, they're starting running backs. It definitely wasn't their, their backup running backs. Their backup running backs were not much worse than their starters. Um, they're, they're fine, but they're losing both of their starters. The reason why that's significant. Um, but anyway, uh, the, the run plays by their running backs, um, were much less effective than run plays by the quarterback. Stetson Bennett was their most effective rusher. And again, I am excluding sacks and scrambles from that, which really confound the data. Um, but if you look at the two, there's basically two quarterback run plays that Georgia's offense had in their playbook last year, which was the quarterback draw. That is plays where, you know, they drop back like they're going to throw the ball, but, and, and sort of like the, the, the linebackers for the opposing defense kind of clear out. And then, haha, Stetson Bennett runs up through the middle, you know, into that vacated area. Um, they were really effective on those types of plays. And the other one was the, the outside zone read, you know, which Oregon fans ought to be super familiar with, right? It's the zone read play. And like every time it was so crazy watching this because it was like going back in time because um, like Pac-12 teams had this stuff figured out years ago. And it was like the SEC defenses they was facing were just like, wait a minute, the quarterback can keep the ball and run to the outside. I don't get it. Like, is that allowed? Is that legal ref? Where, where's my flag? You know, it was so crazy. So like, here's the the the. the the, those two plays that I just described, the quarterback draw and the quarterback keeper and the outside you know, zone read, if you look at those numbers alone, their success rate on those plays was uh, uh, 78%. That is a bonkers number. More than three out of four such runs by Stetson Bennett were successful. 
Uh, their yards per carry on such runs by Stetson Bennett was 8.18, which is a bonkers number. He gets more than eight yards per carry on those runs. 22% of them gained 10 plus yards. Uh, so again, almost one out of four uh, uh, quarterback runs, designed quarterback runs on the draw or the outside zone read keep uh, gained 10 plus yards. I mean, it was just absolutely bonkers that yeah. SEC defenses were... Combine it, that with the with the the craziness of his explosive passing play. I know he was a hundred, like no doubt that this guy was the most effective part of Georgia's offense. He's absolutely essential. And for there to be so much doubt about it. And I mean, like every time I unmuted the audio on the games that I was watching, it was constant. Like, where's JT Daniels? Where's JT Daniels? It's like, you know, it was like the, the itchy and scratchy and poochie episode of the Simpsons where like Homer's recommendation for, for saving poochie is that when all the other characters, when poochie's not on the screen, all the other characters should be asking, where's poochie? Where's poochie? It was like JT Daniels was the poochie of the georgia offense according to the commentators it's just like like are you people insane stetson bennett is so much better of a quarterback than this dude like this is not a question for me so anyway yeah he's explosive passing offense he's lights out rushing offense he's lights out he was more effective now obviously he is not the athlete that their actual running backs are you know the reason why he's successful is the defenses didn't think he was going to run the ball and then he did and then he's actually a pretty good runner i'm not trying to say he's you know a crap runner he's not he's definitely a good runner but it was like th those were successful because they were sort of engineered to be that way when it's just a you know traditional running like the the, the offensive line needs to open up gaps for the running backs to run through that type of running it's man it's below 50 percent. they're only successful on about 49 less than 49 percent of plays they're getting less than five yards per carry um only you know 13 percent are gaining 10 plus yards these are you know th th this is traditional running running backs you know on design running plays um not good that's not a good rushing offense yeah. um and and you know what it stems from this is the other preliminary data that i have is that their offensive line has this crazy skew to it like totally crazy between their rush and pass effectiveness they their, their pass blocking effectiveness. This is one of the best offensive lines I've ever seen. Like every one of them are only like 10 or 11% uh, error rate. In fact, one of them, their center is, is it less than 7.5% error rate, which is like, you're getting to Panay Sewell territory when you're getting into single digits, like error rate, like that's, you know, really, really good. Um, you know, 10 or 11% for everybody. And then one or two guys who are under 10%, that's a really good pass blocking offensive line. And, and they gave up like very few sacks and like, of course, you know, like, you know, you can probably infer that from the, the rest of their statistics. Like, it's a really good pass blocking offensive line. But then these same dudes, exact same human beings when it comes to, you know, blocking the run, you're getting error rates that are like, uh, I've got 19, I got 20, I got a 25, I got a 23. Like, they're oh. they're bad. Like, that's that's like, you know, those are Pac-12 numbers, man. Like, that's really bad. Um the the one the one exception is their left tackle who had like a pretty good rest you know blocking rate but they're losing their left tackle um so like you know just this is you know it just like i it doesn't take a genius to paint the picture you know from these from these numbers like the offensive line was not good at run blocking and so they're you know it's not like the running backs were bad they weren't the running backs were really good if he ever got a hole open for him it's just the offensive line was an opening holes and so you know it, it made the conundrum of why opposing dcs were overloading against the run you know so you know bonkers and in case anybody is thinking like well 
you know, well, the run numbers are bad because they overloaded against the run. And so if they backed out, you know, they, they wouldn't be so good against the run. I don't think that's true because I recorded a bunch of, I, I made sure to, to gather a bunch of data on that question where I, you know, I got all the box counts and like, even when they're running against six man boxes, you know, even when occasionally they'd run into a defensive coordinator who wasn't out of his mind, like Tennessee actually figured this out. Tennessee, um, uh, uh, but they were like week 11, you know, it was real late in the season before they played a defensive coordinator who had the light bulb go off, you know, and started facing six man boxes and they were still stopping the run. It was like watching Stanford in 2018, you know, like the first year when Stanford couldn't run, but like nobody believed it. And it was me. It was a lone voice in the wilderness. I was the first person who published an article in 2018 that said Stanford can't run the ball and like, and, you know, eventually everybody came around to the correct, you know, side of that, but, you know, they were behind me and I feel like I, you know, I'm, I'm like in exactly the same position about George's rushing offense in 2021. Uh, I was like, they can't run the ball, even against light boxes. Like, you know, don't expend your rush resources there. And then, you know, guess what I, I see out of Dan Lanning's defenses, you know, in the mint defensive front is that they don't overload against the run. They, they take the pass much more seriously. So I'm just like, Oh my God, this is really like encouraging stuff. All right. I, I'm done ranting. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's about all I've been able to extract from the preliminary data. You're going to have to stay tuned to next week for me to get the, you know, the, the advanced uh, correlation analysis, but like, we're looking forward to it. For sure. I, you know, sort of the, 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 the little takeaways are sort of like, yeah, this team's got some vulnerabilities. They're really good. You know, they had a, a really like for, for real legit defense last year, but they're losing a lot of the pieces off of their defense last year. They had a, an offense that like, they really just had one thing that was really going for them, which is a great, or two things I should say, which is a, a great pass blocking offensive line and a really great quarterback. And I think that, but I think that a lot of defenses sort of underestimated the quarterback and, and, uh, and, and now that the, the film exists for why that's a bad idea, I sort of think he's got a different challenge, you know, facing him. So all of these things, I feel like film study was very encouraging and positive process, um, you know, for ducks fan. I'm looking forward to writing this article. All right. All right. That was long rant. You got any questions for me? Um, no, I'll, I'll wait till uh, after the <laughs> article right. for questions. Well, <laughs> I, I think, that, think that I waited 20 to, minutes. That, that was plenty to chew on right there. That, no, it was all good stuff. So. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for, for this week. I'm starting to feel my voice going. You got any uh, parting words for us, Badwater? No, no. Um, right. you know, what is it? 14 days and... I know, we're getting close. Hey, hey uh, uh, week zero games are this Saturday. Uh, although, yes. of course, all, all Duck fans will be watching volleyball and soccer, I know, but there are some week well, zero games. <laughs> there will be one Duck fan who's watching volleyball sure. and soccer. All right, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, it was good talking to you, Badwater. I'll catch you guys you on the flip side.